Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. All right, Bitch Talkers, we are celebrating our 700th episode with a bang. Literally, we are sitting down with the stars of the film Bros, Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> so, so we just came from the premiere last night, the U.S. premiere, which was at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. And I have to start off by thanking you for probably the most exciting, emotional funny film experience I've had in I don't know how long. Oh, thanks. And for us, I'm getting emotional, sorry. For us, being from yeah. <laughs> being from the Bay, we know the cultural significance of the Castro. You could have had this in LA, San Francisco, or New York. Can you talk about why you chose the Castro Theater in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in New York City. It's obviously an LGBTQ mecca and one of the gay capitals of the world. But San Francisco, when you think about the history of queer life in America, really is the center in so many ways and the heart and soul of LGBTQ history in America. Um, I don't think we would have made progress throughout the country had, you know, we not made progress here first. Um, and it just made all the sense in the world that Bros had its first public screening at the Castro, you know, which is in the center of it all. And it was really, it was wonderful. It was a packed theater. You know, it's it's been really remarkable because we had the world premiere of the movie a few nights ago at the Toronto Film Festival, also in a huge theater for thousands of people. It was wild. And I think that theater was probably mostly straight people um, who absolutely loved it and were laughing out loud. You couldn't hear the joke sometimes because they were still laughing at the last joke. And that was amazing to see because I do think the movie is very relatable for everyone. And then it is a very different, even more special experience to like sit in a room like the theater at the Castro, which was probably largely an LGBTQ audience last night and feel the very, you know, specific emotional connection that that audience has to the movie. I think so much of our movie is also examining, you know, queer history and understanding that we do have a history and that we've come from somewhere in San Francisco, obviously, I think. Compton's cafeteria riots yeah. that mm -hmm. happened here yeah. and then the longest running gay bars here. I mean, it's a place where people came to feel safe. Mm -hmm. It's a place where they could be themselves. And now I'm getting emotional. So it's so lovely to bring something back as a sort of like gift in a weird sort of way. Yeah. yeah. It was very, very moving. Um, Billy, you're the executive producer, writer, um, co-writer, co-writer, co-writer. Yes. 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 Nicholas Stoller. Yes. <laughs> um, did you feel like you had to wear all three hats to get this film made and for people to actually see it on the big screen? Um, I mean, I know Judd Apatow. That's a nice name to have linked to it. But did you feel like you needed to wear those hats to get this made? Yeah. I mean, I 
There's a lot of pressure on this movie, you know, and I really wanted to get it right. I knew it was a huge opportunity for me. So, of course, selfishly, for my own purposes, I wanted it to be great. But I also really wanted it to be great for our whole community and for straight people to get a real look at what it's really like um, in a fun way. You know, like, you know, we have to be careful all the stuff about the historical context of the movie, which is very important to acknowledge and to celebrate, but kind of makes it feel like a drama when it's anything. But, you know, it is a very funny movie. And when we set out, you know, you don't sit down and, and say, let's write a historic movie today. You don't even sit down and say, let's write a gay movie. You know, Nick Stoller, who I wrote it with, is straight. Judd Apatow, who produced the movie, is straight. Um, those guys are responsible for making some of the funniest movies of the past 20 years between the two of them, Bridesmaids and 40-Year-Old Virgin and Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Knocked Up and Neighbors. And these are like massive mainstream comedy hits. Um, and so our focus was really, let's make the funniest friggin' movie possible. You know, I don't think you get many great comedies these days. And we really want to give people uh, – the right reason to leave the house. Like, you know, yes, we want you to leave the house and celebrate the movie because it's historic in certain ways. But what you're really going to get out of that is a movie that makes you laugh a lot and is also an emotional film for people. So that was our focus. Like, how come we've never had a Bridesmaids or a 40-year-old virgin, like that style movie that happens to be about a gay couple and it's populated by mainly LGBTQ characters that's produced at this scale? Right. We've certainly had many wonderful indie movies and there's great shows streaming, but a major studio film that's getting widely distributed to over 3000 theaters in North America that also happens to be an R rated Judd Apatow produced gay rom com. That doesn't happen every day. So we wanted to make sure that we got it right. But it's a unique it's a unique pressure. I mean, I don't think people watched Bridesmaids and said, that's not what Bridesmaids are actually like. That's so <laughs> true. You know, so we definitely had to do that. And go, like, to go back to your question, Angela, about like Billy wearing all the hats. Like, I need to just say from my perspective, he was writing. He was talking to the costume department. He was writing a song literally during the filming. He... And he is the only person who could have done all that. He's the only person who could have done all that. And... Partly because it was his story, but because he had the vision and the voice. And, and, and truly, I, I can't imagine anyone else doing it other than Billy. That's nice. Thank you. You're welcome. I feel the same about Luke playing the role. That's true. Um, you know, romantic comedies, as great as the script is, they live or die based on the chemistry of those two characters. And by the way, we've seen many movies where they, they throw two very famous people together and very talented people together thinking, oh, right, well, those two are both great actors, so that'll be great. But sometimes the chemistry just isn't there. Name names. Uh, yeah. I, spill the tea. Spill the tea, that. Billy. Yes. yes. Um, uh, but, but you all know what I mean. You yes. know, a chemistry is, that's a, a, a magic rare thing who even knows what creates chemistry but really um to have luke from the second luke walked into the audition room we're like nick and judd and i just looked at each other when he left just saying oh my god like that's the guy thank god it's a hard role to cast you know and but there was always a little spark between us um it's and now completely gone it's out. now gone <laughs> it's um, dimmed it's now all we have it dies i feel it else. i still feel it in this room right now yeah um so no truly like luke brings so much to the character and we did not want to make a romantic comedy where one character was very fleshed out 
and the other one is just, you know, one dimensional or two dimensional. And I think what's fun about the movie is that you get to watch both of us evolve. You know, the movie is really about it's about two guys who really pride themselves on not needing someone and being emotionally unavailable and not needing to be codependent who unexpectedly when they're both around 40 fall in love for the first time you know how do you navigate that like those walls need to come down you need to be vulnerable and that's that's not only a story about gay men that's a story about men in general right and um so that's that's really what it's about and and you know luckily luke and i both really committed to it and um we're very lucky to have him I'm glad you brought that up because I really did relate to your character, Luke. I mean, in in my younger years, you know, I did I dated a woman for a few years and I would not introduce her as my girlfriend most of the time. And so this idea of code switching, you know, you you kind of want to make other people feel comfortable by not being your real self when in actuality, you're the one that's not comfortable. Everyone else is for the most part fine. So can you talk about making creating this character and still making him relatable and lovable and not a complete asshole for for being that way? It was funny when I read the script, I, I felt like they just kept on adding asshole qualities to him. And I was like, they're just not going to like him at the end. Um, in fact, the uh, steroids was a sort of later addition to the thing. And I was like, really? Steroids as well? It's not steroids. It's testosterone. It's testosterone. Yes, very good. Very good point. I mean, I think Aaron is somebody that does care about what other people think. Probably too much. Probably too much. But that is so much, I think, part of my personal experience growing up as a gay man, you know, making sure that everybody was comfortable about my identity and Bobby's character does not do that. But it's always funny watching the movie too. Like he's also trying to put on a, a sense of masculinity, a sense of sort of passability. I, I've talked about this before, but growing up in the 90s and a lot of the sort of men that we looked at were sort of kind of appealing to us, but we're also not being told they were gay. I'm thinking of like Mark Wahlberg up there in Times Square and his like briefs. And we're like, that is totally geared towards me as a gay man, but he is straight. So I wanted to be him. I kind of wanted to kiss him, but I didn't quite know. And watching the movie actually recently in Toronto, I realized how deep my voice was. And I do have a deep voice, but like even Aaron's voice was deeper than my actual voice. And I see you're a sound technician there, uh, making sure that she's, <laughs> she's getting me covered here. But I think that, that that's part of the masculinity. That's part of sort of what I did sort of instinctually that I was dropping my voice more and more and more to kind of live in this super masculine kind of thing. And as he becomes more open, he allows his voice to sort of have a little more color, a little more pitch, a little more dance to it, you know? Your voice better dance, Luke McFarlane. <laughs> dance for um, me, dance for yeah, me. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, one of the co-producers of the movie, our, our good friend Sierra Pavia, was my assistant for many years before she be became co-producer. So we spent a lot of time together and we're close friends. And she once said to me, and I, I was not consciously doing it, but she said to me, because uh, most of my agents, managers, lawyers, all those folks are straight men right? There are some gays and some women, but it's mostly straight men. Um, and she said, you know, anytime your manager calls, your voice drops two octaves. Hmm. And I didn't even realize I was doing it, right? So I'll be talking to her in the car like me. And then my manager, Troy, of course, that's his name, um, would call <laughs> and I'd pick up the phone and I'd be like, hey, how's it going? Like I, you know, I sort of, I do something to my voice that makes him comfortable, that doesn't freak him out. And I never even realized it. 
Um, and that kind of inspired a part of the movie. I think this is a perfect time to introduce our next guest, Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> exactly. Nice. She's wonderful in bros. A real, real stretch. Can, can we talk about casting? And, and I want to know if, Luke, when you read the script and you went into audition, did you know that this was going to be a LGBTQIA cast? And did that, did that inform any of your decisions and really wanting to be a part of the film? Um, and for Billy, were you a part of the casting throughout the whole process? Um, I don't think I knew explicitly because actually you can probably address this better, but I, I don't know if you're – are you allowed to like put out – explicitly like everybody needs to be openly lgb I, I knew that they wanted to cast my part as a openly gay man but i don't i didn't know about everybody in the entire cast yeah i'm not really sure what the rules are we just did what made sense yeah. for the movie you know it would have been for this particular movie once you see it especially you realize how hypocritical it would be if we hadn't gone in this direction mm -hmm. um yeah. but you know Look, the whole cast is openly LGBTQ, even in the straight roles. You know, that's something very rare, especially in a, again, a, a movie, mainstream major studio movie being produced and released at this scale. Um, no one wants to make any strict rules about mm. art, mm -hmm. right? Um, movies are art. Even major studio broad comedies are technically art. You can art. say it. You can say um, it. And... Art shouldn't have any strict rules applied to it. However, art's not made in a vacuum. And this is a business too, right? Hollywood's a big business. So like we're talking about equity here and equal opportunity and who's getting hired and who's not getting hired the way we would talk about it in any corporate situation, right? Um, and so we just thought there is a long history in Hollywood where the most high profile, highly visible LGBTQ roles are almost always played by straight actors, right? To great acclaim, they win awards. It's something that they've done to show people that they're serious, that they're brave, that they're willing to do anything, even play gay. Like, can you believe it? Like, you know, and, 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 and so, and by the way, some of those performances were fantastic. Like no one's saying that they weren't, but for so long, gay actors didn't get to play our own roles and we never got to play the straight roles on the, I mean, openly gay, right? Obviously there were closeted actors doing whatever they want, but that's just not the same. And so we just saw this movie as an opportunity to try to correct that imbalance, you know, and I really think that the movie is better for it creatively. It also having all LGBT, LGBTQ actors allows us to poke fun at ourselves, which we do in the movie a lot. This is not a sanctimonious movie. You know, it is a big, wild, raunchy, sexy comedy. We all make fun of each other. Different parts of the community make fun of the other parts of the community. There's, you know, big boardroom scenes at the museum that I work at, um, which is an LGBTQ history museum, which are some of the funniest scenes of the movie. So um, I'm really glad that we did that for many reasons. I, I think just go back to your question. I... I kind of, my sort of highest profile thing was playing a gay character. And after that came to an end on Brothers and Sisters on ABC. And then after I made a very clear de decision in my mind, I was like, I, I want to play other characters that are not LG. And I worked very hard to be able to be accepted as a romantic lead in a lot of Hallmark films, as a action hero in a, a sci-fi show. And it was for me, it was very important that I get to play these different kinds of characters. And when this script came along, I was like, well, this is exactly the kind of thing I, I want to do now. And I think as an actor, you're always looking for the next kind of particular challenge as that relates to how people see you. 
So for me, like, you know, I wonder moving on from this, will it be harder again? And as a 40 year old man too, the, the guys who have stuck around who are my age that I'm competing with for the, you know, straight romantic leads is going to be very difficult and will take another act of courage by a producer in the studio to say, let's cast that openly gay actor as a romantic lead beside Emily Blunt, you know, and that that is where the sort of bravery comes from, from studios, from people that say, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Whereas I will be playing Emily Blunt <laughs> in the uh, Emily yeah. Blunt biopic <laughs> that I've been developing. You can so. play Emily's Blunt. Oh, yeah. hey. Let's think outside the box. Let's think outside the box. Yeah, so thank you so much again. This was such an enjoyable film. We have to watch it again because I missed half of the jokes. But uh, we hope all of you go out to see it. And this is the first of many to come. We've been sitting down with Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane from the film Bros. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys are great. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.